six today. So while you're turning there, um, be in verses 22 through 27. A few weeks ago, Shannon asked me to preach today, the final Sunday of the year. Oh, so sorry. While y'all are turning to your... Um, number six, we need to dismiss the kids. I always forget to do that, my apologies. To go with the Rickersons to find their classrooms. Um, so yeah, a few weeks ago, Shannon asked me to preach the final sermon. And he told me I could preach on whatever I wanted to preach on. And... <laughs> That's a little more intimidating than it seems, because this is the final Sunday of the year. We just wrapped, wrapped up our Advent series, and we're just about to start a new one. But the, the passage that I believe the Lord laid on my heart was number 6, 22 through 27, which is the priestly benediction. And I, as we wrap up this year, my desires that this sermon would serve as a benediction for the year as we move into the next year. And I, and I hope my goal with this sermon today is to bless you and to uh, encourage and comfort you as you reflect on this past year and move into 2020. And so I wanted to read this, number six, again, in verse 22, we read, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. So we are now just a few days away from 2020, and a flood of emotions can come over us as we both uh, look back on this past year and look ahead on the next. As we look back on this year, we can immediately think about all the highlights of this year. Maybe it was a really good family vacation that you went on, or maybe you moved and that was exciting and a blessing to you. Maybe you have a new child. We have many new babies in our church this year. Maybe it was a new job or promotion. Maybe it was just, just good family memories together. There are all kinds of highlights that we might have over this past year. Um, but also, as we look back on this year, we might think of all the trials or hardships that some of us have experienced. Maybe a New Year's resolution you made last year that you didn't follow through with. That can be discouraging to see maybe some commitments that you made that you didn't uh, commit to and follow through on. I can remember in past Decembers, looking back on the year that I had and looking ahead to a new year and experiencing discouragement and at times shame and some guilt because I hadn't achieved or um, experienced everything that I wanted to experience. I hadn't grown the way, like, the way I thought I would this past year. Perhaps you can relate to that. Um, I found that in those moments, I needed God's truth and grace to help me process what has just happened and to encourage me moving forward. I needed, needed something to be done for my guilt and my shame that I was experiencing. We need God's truth. We need His grace. And every year, we still, we still do. 
We all need to be grounded in God's truth as we look ahead and as we look back. We all need gospel encouragement. And what I mean by that is we need our souls to be encouraged and nourished by all that Jesus is and all that he has done for us. We need to reflect upon God's gracious blessings for us that are ours in Christ. And the passage that we're looking at today is a, is a benediction. A, a benediction, if you don't know, and to prepare you, we're, we're going to have a vocabulary lesson today. A few, hope that's okay. The first word is benediction. Uh, maybe you know it. Uh, it just means a good word or a blessing. If you've been with us for any amount of time here at Redeemer, you know that uh, we end each of our services with a benediction, which is... Um, a, corporate, a corporate benediction, a, a, we take a verse or two from Scripture and we read aloud over us as we are sent on our way. This is how we always conclude our time together and how many churches do. And we don't do this just because we can't think of any way else to end a service, we, nor do we do this just because we see churches, Christian churches, for the past 2,000 years doing this. That might be a good reason to do it. Um, but, pr- but primarily, we end with a benediction because we see in Scripture this practice being done. We see the people of God given corporate benedictions as they leave their time of gathering together for worship. We see this as far back as the Old Testament. The text that we are looking at today is known as the priestly benediction or the Aaronic benediction. It's the benediction that God instructed Aaron the priest and his sons to bestow upon the people of Israel as they were gathered around Mount Sinai, right after God had redeemed them from their bondage in Egypt and right after he'd given them the law. And in the New Testament as well, we see Jesus give a benediction prior to his ascension. He lifted up his hands in Luke 24 and he blessed the people. And we don't know this for certain, certain, Many scholars, like great Martin Luther, believe that the benediction that Jesus said prior to his ascension was actually this benediction from Numbers 6, because that was the custom of the time. And we also see, too, as we continue to read in the New Testament, other benedictions given, like 2 Corinthians 13, 14, which you also might find familiar The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. There's some similarities between those two uh, benedictions as well, the priestly one and the apostolic benediction. And oftentimes there is some confusion about what constitutes a benediction. When we speak of a benediction in Scripture, we're referring to a blessing from God to us. That's not to be confused with a doxology, and I've probably already lost y'all, but a doxology is another big word that simply means us blessing God or us worshiping God. We sang earlier in our service today um, a, what is known as the doxology, praise God from whom all blessings flow. That's an old, old song, which is awesome. It's an awesome song of praise to God. It's known as the doxology. We also see others in Scripture, like this one from James, where we read, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, and now and forever. Amen. Perhaps that 
is familiar to you. We've actually finished our services with that benediction, or sorry, with that doxology. Okay? Another one, Ephesians 3. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So we have ended our services with these doxologies, and our, our, our services are filled with doxologies too as we lift up our voices and praise to our God as we seek to bless our God. This is what the psalm, psalmist is doing in Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul. We are seeking to bless God. That's what a doxology is, is us blessing God. But a benediction in Scripture is God actually blessing us. It's not just a good wish for us, but it's actually a pronouncement of God's blessing upon us. And here at Redeemer, Redeemer we like to begin our services with God's Word. We like to finish our, our services with God's Word, God's blessing, God's promises. And again, this isn't our own invention. Perhaps you've been at other churches that have done this. Maybe you haven't. But this is a common practice for churches throughout the ages, that we would begin our time together and end our time together with God's Word. We value having God's Word as the bookends of our services. And we call these the call to worship and the benediction. Okay? A few more terms. A couple, well, just one more term for you there. Call to worship. The call to worship isn't just filler words that get us into the mood to worship, but they actually help set our minds on things that are above. These are the very words of God. They help reorient us. Maybe after a really long week or a really stressful morning, wrestling your kids to get them here on time, to get them fed, get them clothed. Sunday morning can be really stressful. I know even for my wife, who um, <laughs> I have to come here early on Sunday mornings. My wife has to do that all by herself, and I and uh, I know it can be really difficult for her and for other people. Sunday mornings can be very stressful times. Um, but our, our call to worship, it reorients us and helps us set our minds on God, on Christ. Now, I don't know um, how many of y'all have seen the new Star Wars movie. I actually haven't, so don't worry about any spoilers here. But at the beginning of every Star Wars movie, all 11 of them, I don't know if you knew that there were that many. All 11 of them, they all begin with the iconic words a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And then the John Williams Orchestra comes in with that awesome, beautiful, iconic song, Star Wars theme song. And then you have the rolling script that prepares you for the movie. And in a very similar way is that script reorients you, it prepares you for that movie, so too does a call to worship. I don't think any of you, if you paid $50 to go to the theater, which I think that's what it costs now to go to see a movie in theaters, <laughs> you, if you were to do that, you wouldn't go and be okay with missing the first 5 or 10 or 15 minutes of it because you want to be there when that Star Wars theme song comes in and as the opening script roles. You want, you want to see that. You want to be prepared for that movie. And similarly, when we come to worship the living God, we want to be here to hear his voice call us to worship. Worship is our God's idea. It's his plan for us. That's the, that's the whole purpose for the church. Our mission is to make disciples. Our purpose is to know God and to worship him. 
And the call to worship reminds us of this every Sunday morning as God gathers us together. And as we read aloud verses like this from Psalm 149, praise the Lord, sing to the Lord a new song, his praise in the assembly of the godly. God assembles us together to worship. Now also a benediction reminds us too who our God is and what he calls us to. It reminds us of God's blessing and that we are to live lives of worship from the moment our service ends to the time our service begins the next week. So from benediction to call to worship, we also are worshiping God. All of our lives are worship. We're always worshiping something. And as a call to worship reorients us to worship God as we gather together, so a benediction reorients us to worship God as we are scattered about wherever we find ourselves. Uh, Sunday when we leave church through the next Sunday morning as we are gathered together. But as we look at this verse today, this passage, I want to consider now, as we look at it, who the giver of this benediction is. The giver of this benediction is the Lord, is Yahweh. So when we see, and we've spoken of this many times, that when we see the Lord in all caps, that's, that's in place of the name of God that God revealed to Moses as Yahweh. In Exodus 3.14, when Moses is at the burning bush, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. So this, we get this name Yahweh from what God, how God just revealed himself to Moses. That name Yahweh is from the Hebrew word meaning to be. Okay? And this reveals a few different things to us about who our God is. There are three things I want to look at this morning that this name reveals to us. The first is that our God is the self-existent one. Okay? He's the self-existing God. He doesn't need anything for his existence, but rather everything else is dependent on our God for existence. Okay? The priest could two, could have just said, the Lord bless you once, but they repeated the Lord three times. They say the Lord three times to emphasize that it is God who is the source of everything, the source of every blessing. Every blessing that you and I experience in this life, every provision, every good pleasure, comes to us from God to reveal something about God, for us to glorify God for it. And now too, because our God is self-existent, the giver of life, he is not dependent upon anything. He doesn't need anything in order to fulfill his promises. He's the only one who this is true of. And every promise that you and I make, we are dependent upon God to allow us to fulfill those promises, to keep them, but not so with God. God can make a promise and he keep them. He always keeps his promises. So this leads us to the second thing about God, that God is covenant-keeping. He always keeps his promises. He never goes back on them. The covenant that God made with Israel was kept by God and fulfilled in Christ. And that was a big theme that we explored in our Advent series, that our God remembered his promises, the covenant that he made to Abraham to bring a Messiah. 
And as God is covenant keeping, he is also never changing or unchanging, immutable. He does not change. In Malachi 3, 6, the Lord says, I, the Lord, do not change. And in James 1, 17, we read, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from God above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Nothing changes our God. Nothing makes him go back on his promises. Nothing makes him go, you know, I shouldn't have made that promise. I shouldn't have made that promise to that person, so I'm not going to keep it. That's not our God. Our God makes promises and he fulfills them. He's always faithful to his people and the promises he makes to them, he fulfills. So to review, our God is the one who is self-existing, covenant-keeping, and never changing. This is the God of the blessing that we see in this benediction. So that's the giver. The recipients of this blessing were Israel in the Old Testament, the people of God. And if you remove the Lord from this benediction, you're actually left with 12 12 words, which is a significant number to the people of Israel, a symbolic number to the people of Israel, because there were 12 uh, tribes of Israel. So this number uh, symbolize for them that all the people of God. This benediction is for all the people of God, the complete number of them. And God made a covenant with their father Abraham and to all of his descendants. So God makes these series of unfolding covenants with his people. He progressively reveals his plan for them. God makes for himself a people, a people for his own possession. And he promised them a land in Canaan, and he gave them a purpose as well, that they would be a people for his own possession. In Exodus 19, verse 6, we read, God say this, and you shall be, a ki- be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. In our passage today, we read that God sets his name upon them. God places his name upon them to bear his name, to reflect God. This is what it meant to be a nation of priests, to help the world around them know who our God is and what he is like. And as God's people, they were to believe in God's promises and obey his laws. When they did, they received great blessings. But when they didn't, it often led to consequences. It was Israel's unbelief that led them to wander 40 years in the wilderness, which is actually the context of this benediction. Right prior to it, this is the context of the book of Numbers, their time spent in the wilderness as they await the promised, uh, the promised land. Even Moses' disobedience withheld him from entering this land. But through all of Israel's unbelief, all of their lack of obedience, God still remained faithful to them and the promises he made. The blessing that we find here, number six, serves as a reminder to the nation of Israel that the God who possesses them is the God who is self-existing, never-changing, and covenant-keeping. They were reminded not to look to the other gods of the nations around them, like Baal and others, but they were reminded to look to God as the source of every blessing. But we do see that though God blesses Israel in miraculous ways, we can think of the, the 
redeeming from Egypt, the crossing of the Red Sea as God parted it. When you think of the manna that God provided for them, despite all of these blessings, they still turn to worship other gods. Just this past week, I was reading in 2 Corinthians 25, this story of King Amaziah, the king of Judah, battling against the Edomites. Maybe you know this story. But before the battle, this king, he paid for help from the army of Israel. Now at this time, the nation of Israel, the kingdom, it had split into two kingdoms. You had the northern Israel, kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. The kingdom of Israel at this time was not walking with God, but the southern kingdom of Judah, at times it was. And they had a king who, it says in 2 Corinthians 25, did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, but not with his whole heart, communicating that sometimes, sometimes he did walk with God, sometimes he did not. But there was a, so as King Amaziah paid for help from the na- godless nation of Israel to help them in battle, a man of God told Amaziah that that was, that that was foolish, you need to trust in God. And so King Amaziah, even though he had already paid for help, refuses the help and they go into battle alone, trusting in God and God provides them victory. Okay, um, and you would think that um, that you would think that in response to that, King Amaziah would bow down and worship God, give glory to God, praise God, moving forward. But instead, what King Amaziah does is he turns to the other gods. He begins worshiping the gods of the people who he just conquered. In response, the prophet says to him, Why have you sought the gods of a people who did not deliver their own people from your hand? God, just, God had just blessed King Amaziah and the nation of Judah, and the gods of the Edomites couldn't bless them, yet Amaziah worshipped those gods. And a similar story is, of course, the story of the Israelites who right after God had redeemed them from Egypt, they bow down and worship a golden calf um, because they forgot the true nature of their God. There are many other stories of God's people turning their backs on God, the giver of their blessings, and seeking blessings elsewhere. And when we read of these stories, um, we can quickly become quite puffed up with pride, and we can even tease these Israelites, um, make fun of them just because of their perceived foolishness, right? Um, You know, because when we look at our own lives, we're not out there worshiping golden calves. I don't think we are. Um, or other statues, but oftentimes we are so quick to worship the altars of other gods like luxury and leisure, perhaps it's reputation, recreation, or um, perhaps even politics. When we put more trust in these things, we find more joy in these things, perhaps we're just investing more time in these things when we should be investing more in God, worshiping Him. And Christians today need to receive this blessing so that we are reminded of who our God is and that we don't fall into worshiping other gods that have nothing to offer us. They have nothing to offer us. We need to be reminded of the true giver of all of our blessings. Now, the way that the nation of Israel was to receive this benediction was very much defined by the covenant that they had with God and the Mosaic covenant. And as Christians, our covenant, the new covenant, 
It's different from the Mosaic Covenant. Our covenant is actually the fulfillment of the old. Christ has come, and he's fulfilled all the, all the demands under that covenant for us. He's fulfilled all of its laws. Now he's the mediator of a new covenant, a covenant of grace. And the New Testament Hebrews tells us that this is a better covenant with better promises. We see this in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6, where the writer writes, But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. And so now this benediction we find in number 6, number six it is given for the Israelites under its old covenant, but we Christians are under the new covenant, so is it still for us today? Is this benediction still to be received by us? And my answer would be yes. And because of this, we receive it. We receive it as having even more meaning for us now that Christ has come. We are under the new covenant with better promises and blessings that we receive and that we are told about in this benediction in number six, and it is fulfilled in the new and so what are these better promises and blessings that we find? In the new covenant, God does promise to bless us in this life. And not, not financially, although some wolves with sharp teeth might tell you otherwise. And not physically either. We're not promised that. Again, as some false teachers might, might tell you, we might experience these blessings. They are very real blessings. And we need to praise God for them and pray for these blessings. But we need to know that we are not promised them in this life. And those things can easily become idols as well. But the prom promises and the blessings that God promises us are spiritual, which are far better. In Ephesians 1, verses 3, Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. God's blessed you as a Christian with every spiritual blessing. That's a guarantee. That's a promise. And as Paul unpacks this, he goes on to say that these blessings are that we are loved, that we are adopted as God's own, that we are forgiven, we've received mercy, we've been made new and alive for all eternity, and we've been given eternal life, life abundant. We can count all of these blessings that are ours in Christ. All of these blessings are ours in Christ because Christ is the fulfillment of the Old Testament, all of the Old Testament points us to Christ, that Christ is the fulfillment of them, and Christ is now ours. And Paul's point in Ephesians is that we are in Christ. And these blessings are included in this benediction for, for the fulfillment of this benediction is Christ himself. And so let's, let's think about this. So in this benediction, we read that God gives us peace, right? Gives us peace. For Israel, when they spoke of peace, it referred to a host of things. Protection from their enemies, a good harvest, children, land. It referred to their overall well-being in Israel. But for us as Christians, the peace we need most and our promise in the New Testament is peace with God. Shannon unpacked this for us and preached powerfully on the peace that we have in God at Christmas Eve, at our Christmas Eve service. When the angels announced, you know, joy to the world, peace, you know, um, goodwill to men, peace, peace on earth and goodwill to men. There it is. And we have been reconciled to God. And so rather than being enemies of God, our relationship with God now 
is as his children, we can have a relationship with God. We are now children of God and friends of God. There's no longer any animosity between us when there once was. We have peace with God. And along with this peace, the second thing is that we are promised God's favor, which is expressed here in number six as God's shining his face upon us and his countenance being lifted upon us. That's God's attitude now towards us. He delights in us. How often do you meditate on that, that God delights in you? He no longer holds our sins against us. That's not the primary thing he thinks about when he thinks about us. No, he delights in us. He loves us. I remember being, and I've shared this before in previous sermons actually, but I remember being in a dark place in college, emotionally and spiritually, feeling like I had been nothing but a disappointment to God and that God's primary attitude towards me was just that, disappointment. And I was living in a lot of shame, a lot of discouragement, a lot of guilt that I don't believe God desired for me to live in. Um, Those things bring us to God to receive his mercy, but I was not living in light of God's mercy and love. Instead, I was thinking that God was just disappointed in me. But God used a friend to remind me. She said, Brian, when God looks at you, God doesn't see all of your failures. He sees the righteousness of Christ. God God does not look at his children and get swayed by all of our bad choices that we've made. He looks at us and sees the righteousness of Christ. Does that mean that we can never uh, sin against God or grieve the Holy Spirit? No. But it, but it means that God's attitude, attitude towards us doesn't change. God is for us. He's not against us. The wrath that God had for us or, um, has been placed now on Christ. When Christ died on the cross. And as Christians, we now have God's smiling face upon us. As a, as a father whose face is just beaming with pride and joy in his child. Right? This is God's... Um, This is God's attitude now. In Christ, this is. God has lifted his countenance upon you. This is good news and grace for sinners like us. That's really good news. And third, we see, this is in the first line of of this benediction, where we read, the Lord bless you and keep you. And God has his sovereign hand in your life for your good. This peace with God that we now have is ours forever, Because we are in God's hands. This favor is ours in Christ. This this favor that is ours in Christ is ours forever because we are in God's hands. This means that for, for you Christians in the room, that you cannot lose your salvation. Why? Because salvation was never dependent on you in the first place. But it was always dependent on Christ. You never earned your salvation. Why do you think you can lose it? Uh, favorite quote by a guy named John MacArthur. He says, if, if you could lose your salvation, you would. Uh, because we're sinners. Um, but God, our God holds on to us. We, we know this as, or we refer to this as the doctrine of perseverance of the saints. Or maybe you know it as once saved, always saved. And it's true. The Bible teaches it. We see it in 1 John 2.19, where John writes, speaking of people who once appeared to be Christians, but step away from the faith. He says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. And we see, we read this again, the doxology we read earlier from Jude 24, and now to him who was able to keep us from stumbling. 
And there are times when I look back on my life and seasons of darkness in my life. And if it were not for God holding on to me, there were times when I would have been overcome by some of the doubts that I've experienced or overcome by my temptations to sin. But God holds on to us. He did not let me be overcome and walk away from Him. and Walk in sin for a season, but our God holds on to us. Right now we're helping our uh, almost 14-month-old daughter, Nora, to walk. And she's getting really close. She took like three, six steps like two, a week ago, and then just stopped. <laughs> and uh, so right now we're holding on to her hands and we're walking with her a little bit. And she's a little bit unsure of herself. And as she's walking, you know, she's kind of she's stumbling. Uh, sometimes her feet, will, her legs will give out, but we're still holding on to her hands. And she might try to let go of us as we're holding her. She might try to, but she can't because we're holding on to her hands. We won't let her fall. That's the same thing with our God as we think about our salvation, these blessings that are ours in Christ. Our God keeps us. He holds on to us. As we seek to follow Christ, we might not always walk in a straight line. We will make mistakes, but God has his hold on us, and he won't let us go. And, and you know, this also means for us as Christians that God's sovereign hand is holding us. It means that everything that has happened this past year um, and everything that comes your way to this upcoming year has been ordained by God for your good and for his glory. It's been ordained by God to make you more like Christ. What hope that gives, that there's nothing that's wasted, that everything that happens to us, everything that's going to come our way has been placed there by God to make us more like Christ. There's nothing that's going to happen this upcoming year that's going to take God by surprise. He's got a purpose for it. Okay. And in order not to miss this, because we don't want to miss that, we know it's true, but sometimes we're not mindful of that, and we can become, get discouraged thinking that, man, this, this is meaningless. My trials are meaningless. Even my temptations to sin are meaningless. We see with Paul that God had a purpose for the thorn that he gave in the flesh. We don't want to miss this. What God is doing in our lives, we don't want to miss it. If we don't want to miss this, we need to be abiding with God. We need to be people who are steadfast in prayer, praying, cease, praying without ceasing so we're communing with God. We need to be walking with God in his word so we don't miss his voice, so we can discern his will, and we need to be walking with his people because we weren't made to walk on this, go through life, to journey through life on our own. We need God's people. So as we near the end, I want to leave you with just a few things. And the first thing, as we look back at 2019, we need to do so through the lens of the gospel. And as we do this, we need to remember who our God is, that our God is self-existing, he doesn't need anything. He is the covenant-keeping God. He keeps all of his promises to us, and he is never changing. His promises never change. His blessings never change. Throughout this past year, as we look back, we need to look back on him as our provider and the sustainer of us. He's the fount of every blessing that we sang earlier. And all these blessings we receive, we need to be grateful we need to let all, all the blessings that God has given us in Christ to lead us into doxology, into worship. Um, 
for another year of life. He has given us, we need to be grateful for our health, for our family, our, our job, everything. Maybe the, the spiritual growth that you've experienced this past year, we need to be grateful and give glory to God. Most importantly, we need to be grateful for Christ in whom we've received every spiritual blessing this past year. The peace we've received, the favor being kept by God, that God has kept us this past year. Let's give glory to God for that. And two, as we remember maybe some mistakes that we've made, some things that we regret, we need to be comforted that we have a God who restores wasted years. Joel 2.25, we read, I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. We have a God who redeems, restores. And this promise from Romans 8.28, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. Nothing is wasted. And if you look back on this year and you do find conviction of sin, um, allow that to lead you to repentance. Don't, don't keep it inside, but repent. Bring it into the light and find God's grace and find God's mercy. Live in God's blessing. And trust that God will use everything in your past for your good. Do that. And secondly, right, as we look ahead, we need to look ahead through the lens of the gospel as well. And this is what this benediction helps us to do. It reminds us not only of our God who was the giver of every blessing this past year, but also our God who will be our source of blessing as we move forward. The God who is unchanging. And these blessings for us are sure because these blessings are found in Christ. And when we, when we consider these blessings that are ours, allow that to embolden you. Embolden you to, to do God's will. All of the blessings that we have been given, we've been blessed to be a blessing to others. First and foremost, to be a blessing to God, right? And also being a blessing to other people. We know that where God places us this upcoming year, where he sends us, our God will be with us. Whatever situation we find ourselves in, he will be with us and he has a purpose for it. Whatever comes our way, we know that God is using it for our good and for his glory. And it's my final thing. If you're not a Christian, you're looking at these blessings and going, those are awesome blessings. Um, these blessings are only for those who are in Christ. This is not a general blessing to every single person. But these are blessing, blessings only for those who are in Christ, who have turned from their sin and who have trusted in Christ. If you want to receive God's peace, God's mercy, God's love, God's hand holding on to you in life, the invitation to you is to turn to Christ, turn from sin, and believe on Christ and be saved and to receive all of these blessings. It's my desire that this sermon today would serve as a benediction, an encouragement as you reflect on this past year and also an encouragement as you look ahead to this next year. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are just so grateful for all that you are, all that you have done for us in Christ. You have given us a life that we don't deserve. But God, we thank you that you have looked upon us in love. Before we were even born, God, you knew, you knew our lives. You knew every sin that we would commit against you. You knew it all. And before the foundations of the world, you had a plan in place to redeem your people. 
And we thank you for sending Jesus. The law's demands to live a perfect and blameless life, the life that we could not live, and dying on the cross in our place. Lord, help us to be ever grateful for that. We praise you that Christ is alive today. And we pray that we would continue to look to Christ as we reflect on this past year and as we look ahead to the next. God, help us to find all of our hope in Christ. Help us to be reminded of his goodness and all the blessings that are ours in him. God, we thank you that you are a God of peace, that you have reconciled us to yourself through Jesus and what he has done for us. That's not a peace that we earned. God, we thank you that we have favor in your eyes through what Christ has done. It's not our own righteousness, but it's Christ's righteousness. That's the lens through which you see us. And I pray that it would be the lens through which we see ourselves. And God, I do pray that we would trust in your promises, that we would receive your blessings, and God, that we would walk in obedience, that we would walk in faithfulness. Lord, as the Israelites were to be a kingdom of priests and holy nation to reveal to the world around them who you are. God, I pray that you would help us to this upcoming year as we move forward today. God, to accurately reflect who you are, the things that you love, your character. Help us and use us, God, to make you known. Lord, I do pray that if there's anyone here this morning who does not know you, who does not know these blessings, God, I do pray that you would draw them to yourself, that they would come to faith, that they would believe on Christ and be saved. There is no experience of these eternal blessings apart from Christ. There are so many blessings, general blessings that everybody experiences, but God, these blessings in Christ are reserved for those who know you. And so I pray, God, that you would draw us all to yourself today, that no one would leave here this morning without knowing you, without knowing Christ as their Savior, without knowing Christ as their Lord.